Hey, thanks for listening to the Saints Church Glastonbury podcast. My name is Brett, the pastor of Saints Church. We're continuing our series of talks called Holy, 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 looking at the topic and the subject of worship. Let's dive right into the word. We have been uh, studying scripture, looking at the area and the avenue of worship. Oftentimes, we, we attribute worship to the thing that we just did, the music that we sing in the first half of the service. But what we are learning and understanding is that our worship is not only limited to this environment, is it, it, it's supposed to permeate every area of our lives, but there is a way that we can worship in this environment and in this way. There is a what is called in Scripture an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord, and we've been learning about that. If you've been trying to track with us, you can jump onto our YouTube. Also, we launched a brand new audio podcast. Uh, you can find it, St. Church Glastonbury, on iTunes or Spotify, and you can track along with us where we have been. As we've been contemplating this idea of worship, Uh, And there's going to be a QR code for sermon notes. I can just see the panic in people's eyes. Uh, The sermon notes are coming. There they are. Just take a moment. Let's all just take a moment to scan together. It's okay. Uh, You can scan those. There's lots of scripture for you today, and you can scan those. And if you're using the YouVersion Bible app and you don't want to scan the code, you can just hit the bottom right. uh, There's three lines, the bottom right-hand corner. Hit the events. You'll see Saints Church Glastonbury. The message today is entitled, Glory, Glory, Hallelujah. Subtitle, and the saints go marching in. I think we've got it. We think we've got it. To set the stage, I want to call our attention to a quote from theologian R.C. Sproul. He says this, When the Bible calls God holy, it means primarily that God is transcendently separate. He is so far above and beyond us that He seems almost totally foreign to us. If you've ever thought, I can't believe he would do something like that. I can't believe he would forgive that person. I can't believe, I can't believe, I can't believe. It's because he seems almost foreign to us. To be holy is to be other, to be different in a special way. In her book, Holier Than Thou, Jackie Hill Perry says it like this, God is not a derivative of anything since everything is derived from him. In our attempt to make sense of God through our human lenses, we've actually lowered the bar of who God is. Because I want God to look like me and sound like me and talk like me, right? No. If God looks like me, we've got a problem. You don't want me being God and creator of the universe. I want God to be creator of the universe. I want God to be God. I am not, and you are not, the pinnacle of human existence. And even if we were, it pales into com- in comparison to the vastness, the power, the beauty, and the majesty of God who thinks a thought, then His Son speaks it into existence, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, it happens. We spend a lot of time trying to understand God, and my concern is that when we try to understand God, we just try and make Him fit into the world that works for me. But God is not an accessory. He's not a new handbag. He's not something that you add to your lifestyle. He is the one who determines your lifestyle. 
Pastor David McGrew was here a, a number of weeks ago, and he says this, God is something altogether other. That's who God is. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. When the angels sing, and I read earlier in Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. That's Isaiah 6, verse 3. There's angels in that scene, and, and spoiler alert, angels look nothing like you think that they look. These are seraphim, and they have multiple wings, and they're covering their eyes, and they're covering their feet, and they're flying around. They don't even look at God because of the vastness of His power, His majesty, and His splendor. When Moses was having an encounter with God, God hid him in the cleft of a rock. He hid him in this place. He says, God, I want to look upon your glory. He says, no, no, you, you, you can't handle this. You can't handle the truth. And God passed by, and he could just see God passing by. Now what we get is we get to see the Father through the Son. Jesus is the faith. And it is our primary job and pathway as what we are learning as priests, a royal priesthood. That's our job, each one of us. I know that we think that, that priests are, are single men who don't get married that serve in the Catholic Church. That's not true. I mean, that's what they, those guys call themselves. But the reality is every single believer is a priest. If you put your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ, you're called to be a, a priest who offers acceptable spiritual sacrifices. We've been talking about what are these mechanisms of acceptable spiritual sacrifices. Last, last time we were together, we looked at uh, just in passing, even the way that we sing and that we worship, there's nine physical expressions as outlined in Scripture of worship, three with our hands, three with our mouth, three with our bodies, our posture. Uh, we, we can worship. There's a way that we worship. The truth is we, we bristle at these things of these suggestions. You say, well, I'm not going to lift up my hands. I'm going to look foolish. Well, sir, if you don't lift up your hands, you're just letting pride rule the day. You says your ego is greater than the king of the universe. No, that's just an emotional response. It's not an emotional response. It's a scriptural response. Because Jesus said, this is the way that I want to be worshiped. You know, it's like love language. We talk, I mean, I talk about this all the time. Love language. If you want to learn to love your wife, you need to learn to love her in the way that she wants to be loved. And if you don't, you're going to have problems. The church for a long time has tried to determine how God wants to be loved. We've determined how. I would suggest to us today that maybe we should just ask Him and realign our hearts and our preferences and our desires with what He wants for us. Are you with me today? There was, there's no response. Is anybody with me in the room today? They're like, okay. I don't believe you, but we're going to get there, okay? We're going to get there. Now, I'm just going to give this little asterisk. Next Sunday, we've got, it's going to be a special Sunday. We've got our good friend and a member of our church family, Sammy Robinson, is going to be bringing the word next week. I'm just going to, I'm just going to, just, going to just drop this here. Did you know that, that there are ways to get more out of this than you are currently experiencing? You can get more out of a communicator. You can get more out of a preacher. You can get more out of a speaker. You can draw it out simply by a little bit of response. Because it lets me know that you're actually tracking, that you actually have a pulse, that you're functioning. 
and that you're contemplating. And there is space for processing, but you're like, I don't feel super comfortable with that. It's okay. I'm just saying, if you want to get more out of this, if you lean in, if you're taking notes, and I hope maybe you brought your, anyone bring a Bible today? We brought a Bible. Come on. We're bringing, the phys- we're bringing the book back. We're bringing it, actually bringing it to church. If you bring this and you write some notes down, you're going to get more out of this. And if you verbally respond and you acknowledge and we participate in this together, then we do this together. Otherwise, I'll give you a lecture and that's exciting. But I don't want to sound like the teacher, you know, on the cartoon. Like, yeah, 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 worship Jesus. Um, one of the reasons we take notes in church It's not to necessarily remember what I say, but it's to document and to remember what God is saying. Because when you date it and you write something down, you get this marker in time and you can see what what God was saying to you then. And you can look back in the future and you go, wow, this is what God said to me. And you can be reminded of his goodness and his faithfulness. So I'm just going to encourage you to write some things down. And as different ideas pop into your mind, you're like, oh, I'll remember that. No, you won't. You're going to get to lunch. You're going to forget all about it. So just write it down, capture it. You know, our son uh, started having these uh, visions from God and he started sharing them with us. And, and so we just said, listen, Everett, what you need to do is you just need to write them down and put a date on it so that you can remember and you can put these things in your heart because later when you're going through a difficult season, a difficult moment, you're gonna wanna be reminded of what God said in that moment. So I'm just gonna encourage you to bring that Bible next Sunday, start writing things down this Sunday, and then we're going we're gonna to experience God in a whole new way. I also want to remind you, we've got an incredible self-serve nursery just outside um, <laughs> that you can go to or you can take the kids upstairs. Uh, let's go to Psalm 57. Psalm 57, verse 7 and 8. I'm going to read 7 in the New Living Translation. I'm going to read 8 in the New King James Version. I'm going to give you about four other translations as well. David is on the run. He is running. And I picked David because everybody loves David. He's the guy that killed Goliath, so let's just go with David. David's on the run. Saul's chasing him, so he's hiding in caves because someone's trying to murder him. So if you think you're having a bad day, go to the Psalms. Someone else is having a worse day. So I don't know what your mental state might be if somebody's trying to murder you in the streets and so you're hiding in a cave, but this is what David's mental state is. Psalm 57, 70 says, My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. He says this twice. He's doubling down. No wonder I can sing your praises. We'll go to verse 8 in New King James. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. Essentially guitar. I will awake the dawn. In the New Living Translation, it says, Wake up, my heart. In the NIV, it says, Awake, my soul. In the New King James, it says, Awake, my glory. The Amplify says, awake my glory. Now, here's what's something really interesting. Do you know, like when we think, when we talk about this word glory, we're either talking about incredible victory, like the Edmonton Oilers winning the Stanley Cup, though it seems doubtful. When we think about glory, we think of incredible accolades, but, the, but I think we're, we're missing it in this context. There's, there's the glory and the glory of God, which is the weight of his presence and that's special. But did you know that you have a glory? You as an individual have a glory. Turn to somebody and say, I have a glory. The Hebrew word is kabod. So David here is on the run in a cave, hiding out, 
And yet, even though someone's trying to literally kill him and murder him, and he's hiding in a cave, and it's damp, and it's cold, he says, I'm, I'm just ready. I'm just ready to praise you. And he starts commanding his soul to worship. He starts speaking to himself. How many know that you can actually speak to yourself? You might walk in here and be like, you know, I'm just not feeling it today. I got my coffee, but I'm just not feeling it today. Put down your coffee and command your soul. Say, awake my soul. I'm going to worship. and I'm going to praise the Lord today. Because the day is the day he has made. I will rejoice. I will be glad in it. You can just make that decision. You can just make that decision. You can just make that distinction. You said, but then I'm faking it. No, you're just bringing your mind, your will, and your emotions into alignment with your spirit. That's all you're doing. So David says, awake my glory. The big idea here is that humans have a glory. You have a glory. But here's, here's the asterisk. All glory that humans have is on loan. It all comes from God. It all comes from God. Genesis 1, verse 26, the very first chapter in the very first book of the Bible. Genesis 1, verse 26. I'm just going to split second because I'm encouraging everyone to bring the Bible. So if you've got a Bible, let's take a moment to just flip it over. Genesis 1, verse 26. First book of the Bible, very first chapter. All of our glory is on loan from God. Genesis 1, verse 26, 27. Then God said, how many knows that's an important thing to pay attention to? Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You and I are made in the likeness of God. We're made in the image of God. We have a glory. We're going to explain what that is in a moment, a kabod. But that glory is on loan from God because we are image bearers of God himself. Last night, this, all, this whole weekend, uh, Desiree and I were at, were at a conference uh, it, over at Life Church with, with Sammy Robinson, and Chris Valentin was speaking. He, he shared something that I, I knew of, but I was reminded of it, and it was so perfect for today because this verse was already in my message. And he reminded me uh, that in verse 25 and everything earlier, when God was creating things, he created everything, and he spoke. He says, everything else was created after their own kind. So he said this was created and it was created after their own kind. The only distinction, the only difference in the entire creation account or narrative is that human beings were created in the image of God, not after their own kind, but after God's own kind. So you share in this glory of God. Nathan Finocchio in his book Killer Church defines it like this. The Hebrew word that we translate as glory is kabod, and it means weight. There's a weightiness. The idea behind weight is manifold. A primary use that we could think of is what you're good at, what you bring to the table tangibly. So maybe you, you go to a party, right? And you, you see that person over there and that person just walks in the room. You're like, whoa. It's like when Brendan Visser walks into a room, people are like, who is this guy? They're like, who is that guy? Oh, I'm like, oh, that's Brendan. He's amazing at this. He's amazing at this. He's an incredible golfer. You should golf with him. But what they're actually describing, that's your kabod, that's your glory, that's your weight. You're like, that's my natural attributes, right, but that, that's, that's your glory. It's a culmination of your interests, your giftings, your skills, your time, uh, your disposition, your family proclivity, your schooling, your discipline. All of these like, things intersect 
at this glorious convergence point. And from there, we get your glory. But it's not only what you're good at. It's your presentness. It's your dialed-inness. It's your spark. It's that natural thing that's like, ah, that's them. So you and I each, every single person, we might, we might not be a 10 out of 10 in everything, but we're a 10 out of 10 in something. And there is a spark inside of you. And I know that because Ephesians 2.10 says that you are a handcrafted masterpiece. Not only are you a masterpiece, but you are God's inheritance. You are the gift that he gets at the end. So God created you in all his glory. He put some of his glory into you so that you could flourish into your glory. The real question is, what do I do with my glory? Romans 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, Romans chapter 12, first verse. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice. Like, I thought we were just talking about spiritual things. Sounds like you're just talking about spiritual things. Why does it say, let my body be a living sacrifice? Because God wants every part of you. You're created a trichotomous being. Body, soul, spirit. Three different and distinct parts. And God says, I want every single part of you. Let your body be a living sacrifice to me. That's why when we talk about things like sexual morality, it's not just morality for the sake of morality. It's because your body is the temple of God and you're worshiping with your body and the choices that you make are making, uh, the choices that you make are significant because everything that you do is an act of worship. So the question is, who are you worshiping and what are you using your body for? I plead with you to give your bodies because, to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable, meaning there are kinds that he finds unacceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. See, last week when I started talking about the physical expressions of worship, and every time we do that, some people really connect onto that. They're like, yes, I love to be expressive and I love to, I love to show it out loud. And then some of us were like, no, no, I don't like to do that. And the truth is, it doesn't matter if you like to do it. You need to do it because God asks you to do it. That's a whole other thing. Obedience is a better sacrifice. Whole other conversation for a whole other day. I will not give the Lord that which costs me nothing. But we talked about a Hebrew word last week, yad, which means hands, that God wants the worship of our hands the worship of our bodies, the worship of, of us. And in this context, in, 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 a, in a, a physically demonstrable way, when he says he wants the worship, his, us to worship him with, with Yad, with our hands, he also wants you to worship him with your glory. So we worship him with our Yad, and we worship him with the Kabad. And you're like, why are you speaking Hebrew? because that's the original language of the Bible, and sometimes it just sounds better. It helps us understand the depth of this. See, God wants the life behind the offering. I'm going to run that back. God wants the life behind the offering. Lifted hands is an offering. 
clap is an offering. My singing, it's an offering. My, my actual offering, it's an offering. But God just doesn't want the work of your hands. He wants your whole heart and your whole life. He wants your glory. And it's an act of return. Let's go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. If you're trying to find John, it's in the very beginning of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth gospel. Three gospels are similar, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John is just special. We go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We'll start in verse 21. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. There was an era in the Old Covenant where you had to go somewhere specific to worship. There was an address. There was a location. And if you went to the wrong place, you did not go to worship. You just went to the wrong place. God said there's a time coming, and we're now in that era where you don't need to go to a specific place because you could worship God anywhere at any time with anything. It's an all-encompassing thing. It's not just simply a Sunday thing. It's not a Saturday thing. It's not a Monday thing. It's an everyday 24-7 kind of thing where I worship the Lord with every part of my being. He says, you Samaritans, that's what this lady was, a part of a cultural group, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. Verse 23, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. God wants the life behind the offering. He wants the heart behind the hands. He wants the heart behind the hands. When you go to work, you anticipate that maybe it's every two weeks or once a month you're going to get a paycheck, right? That paycheck is a token of your glory. You give up your glory. You pour all of your, hopefully, all of your heart, energy, and soul into your work because if you're working, you're working onto the Lord, not just for your boss. Though the customers at Starbucks are rough sometimes, I'm praying for you, but you're working to the Lord. So when I give my money to God, I'm giving Him glory. He is the one who gave me my glory, my power to create wealth and income. So my giving becomes a mystical, just, just go on the ride with me with this language. My, act, my giving becomes a mystical act of self-consciousness wherein I come to terms with the divine reality of God in my life. That in Him I live, I move, I breathe, and I have my being. Let me rephrase it. When I give my money, I'm giving my heart because I realize that He gave me the ability to create it, to earn it, to bring it in. It's all His anyway, so I'm giving it back. I'm giving it back as an act of obedience first and as an act of worship, and I'm doing it as returning glory back to Him because my spiritual life does not simply live in a simple, bu a 
like tiny little box with some constraints where I go, well, this is the spiritual me and this is the church me and hopefully they're the same thing. And then this is one, the work me and this is the friends me. No, no, it's all one thing. So everything that I do in every area and facet of my life can be considered, should be considered an act of worship. And that then changes the way that I look at every single scenario in my life. Because every time I use my gift, my talent, my ability in any sphere, I'm doing it to the Lord and I'm doing it as an act of worship. I think creativity is a good example. Sometimes people go like, well, how can we have cameras and screens and all these things? Because we have people that that is their glory realm on their life. Technology is their glory. It's their gifting. And so they use it as an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord, and they use it to the best of their ability. When people write a song, it's the same thing. If you start a company, it's the same thing. Maybe you fix cars, it's the same thing. May every car that you fix, every part that you lay your hand to, be placed in the right place at the right time as God brings that vehicle into alignment. That's funny spiritual language, but the truth is what you're hoping is that as you set the right part into the right place, that God's not only going to put the engine back into alignment, but he's going to put that customer's life back into alignment. Right? So you're just not swapping a part, you're swapping their heart. There's an old preacher phrase that I like a lot, and usually people standing clap and cheer when these things happen, but you don't have to do that. <laughs> if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he ain't Lord at all. And you're like, that's just a funny turn of phrase. No, it's true. If I've determined that God is not Lord of everything, then Jesus isn't my Lord at all. I'm the Lord and he's just an accessory to my lifestyle. See, worship has to do with the rest of us. Our offering here with hands and songs and claps and shouts is just an offering that's, that's a physical demonstration of what's inside of me. And we go, you know what, we're Canadians. We don't really get rowdy in this way. We don't get loud. We don't get demonstrative. We just kind of, have you been to a hockey game? <laughs> now, I'm making a broad statement and personalities are different and, and there are people who quietly sit and enjoy a hockey game. But the truth is, Canadians, we get loud about the things that we care about. So the inverse is true. If I don't care, I just stay quiet. Psalm 50 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Am I breathing? Do I have a pulse? My Fitbit says I'm getting excited, so my heart rate is rising. <laughs> See, there's, there's times and there's moments to be quiet and reflective. That's, that's absolutely true. But as a church community, what my challenge is to us is that we need to find our voice so that we can know when to use it. And what's contrary maybe to our nature is being vocal or being expressive. But you're not doing it for me. You're certainly not doing it for somebody on a stage. You're doing it for the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords because he's asked you to love him in a certain way, to approach him in a certain way, to enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise in a certain way, with a certain posture of heart and body and mind and soul and spirit. So it's not actually about me. It's about him. 
So every time I make a sacrifice, it's the reason it's called a sacrifice. It's like, I don't like to do those things. I know, and that's why it's important that you do it. Because you're killing the part of you that says, I know better, I am better. You're killing the part of you that says, I'm the Lord of my life. And you're doing it in service to the Lord and the King of the universe. Biblical worship, you should write this down, Biblical worship is worshiping God His way. We are priests unto God, which means that we worship Him on His terms. It's all about Him. It's not about me. I am a priest. I am bringing sacrifices to Him to the designated place of His choosing, which is the church because He loves the church because it's His beloved bride and body. As a follower of Jesus, you cannot be disconnected from the local church because you are disconnecting yourself from Jesus because Jesus' mechanism for connection is the local church. Worship on my terms is not acceptable and will be rejected. So guys, I have to confess something here on this stage. I washed some dishes this week, but I didn't put them all away. So I, I, I honored my wife halfway. But the truth is, washing the dishes, that's good. Putting them away, that's even better. But washing the dishes with Desiree and I in our marriage and then putting them away is a sign and a token. It's a symbol. It's a suggestion that I'm, I'm paying attention to the things she loves and the things she cares about. That my act of service is an act of love. So the dishes aren't the main thing. The heart to love and to serve is. So when we worship with our hands, it's not the main thing. It's a sign and a token of my desire to love and to serve. Is this making sense? They reset my timer, so I have so much more time. <laughs> you know, we'd get out of here faster if we were more responsive, but anyways, it's fine. <laughs> you just let, you, yeah, you just let me, yeah, Danny. <laughs> you just let me think that we're just processing together, so I just slow down, you know? Can I show you something in Scripture, what happens when you worship God the way that he wants to be worshipped, what the result is? Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. It's in that first half of the Old Testament. First, sorry, Second Chronicles. We're going to second, sorry, Second Chronicles 7. Wow. Second Chronicles 7 is a tongue twister. I'm just saying. The first six verses, really, you should probably read the first 21 verses, but we'll just do six for today. Second Chronicles 7. This is a moment where Solomon built a temple. He built a building for God. They're dedicating that building. When Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burnt up the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glorious, so the glory, the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord 
filled it. Imagine that you show up to church and we have this prayer service that happens from 9.45 to 10.15 that you should come to. Imagine that, that the, the sacrifices of prayer and worship that are offered there are so overwhelming that the presence of God comes down in such a heavy and thick, tangible way that people are just standing at the doors because they don't want to get in because it's just too much. That's this moment. When all the people of Israel, in verse 3, when all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down, and the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they fell face down on the ground and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, He is good, His faithful love endures forever. But here's what I love about this moment. They fall down, they worship, they declare His goodness. They're actually declaring His nature. They're quote, quoting Exodus chapter 34. His, he is good, His faithful love endures forever. They're declaring His goodness, His nature. But this is what they do. Watch this. And I hope this is the kind of life and the culture that we can build into our church. When the glory of God comes and there's a weight and it's captivating and it's tangible and there's thick and it's heavy, and you're like, what is this thing that is simply the glory of God? But this is what happens when they experience the glory of God. Most of us go, oh, wow, that was a great moment. That was a great thing. We move on and we get lunch. But this is what they do in verse 4. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices to the Lord. Kings, they, they doubled down. King Solomon offered, this is a lot, offered a sacrifice of 22,000 cattle. I don't know, you know, what the rate is on cattle these days. And then 120,000 sheep and goats. And so we don't worship with animals anymore, but it's just a sign and a token. And so the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God, the priests who took their assigned position, and so did the Levites, that's the worship team who were singing his faithful love endures forever. They accompanied the singing with music from the instruments King David had made. King David was so obsessed with worshiping God that he literally used the creative glory on his life to create instruments and new instruments to worship God. Across from the Levites, the priests blew the trumpets all while Israel stood. Here's what I want us to catch today. The principle of the acceptable sacrifice throughout the Old Testament is this. Every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. Did you get that? Every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. When a great glory, when this glorious church pulls out and pours out their great glory then the glory of God is released and he responds every time there is a correlation to what I pour out and to how he pours out that makes sense Hebrews 13, 15, Therefore, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. In prayer, this morning, I was just reminded, I'm just turning there now, of Psalm 84. It's not in any notes. It's not on any screens. And it's David again speaking of the desperation of his heart. Psalm 84, verse 1. Psalm's right in the middle of the Bible. It says, How lovely 
is your dwelling place, O Lord. That, this is one of his dwelling places. The truth is you're his dwelling place. And when all of the dwelling places get together, it's a more significant dwelling place. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the course of the Lord. My whole body, my whole being, my soul, I will shout joyfully to the Lord. I will shout joyfully to the Lord. Another translation says, my heart and my flesh cry out for you, the living God. So when I come to church, I'm not just coming to church to get encouraged and to get something. I'm coming to church as a priest to worship the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. I'm coming to bring an acceptable sacrifice, which is my body, my soul, my spirit. I laid my pride down. I laid my insecurity down. I laid my anxiety down. I laid my success down. It doesn't matter. It's the great equalizer because we are all here. It doesn't matter what station in life you hold. You are here to worship the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And so I am here to lay that all down. And as I lay it all down and I lay my glory down at the feet of the glorious one, his glory comes, his weight, his presence comes. So when I show up here, it is my expectation that I am going to meet with the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Every Sunday is a spiritual encounter. And every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Saints Church Glastonbury podcast. If you want to learn more about our church, head to saintschurch.ca. If you're ever in the Edmonton area, we would love to connect with you. So you come on out, come hang out with us. We've got locations in West Edmonton, Spruce Grove, Stony Plain, on the east side of Edmonton at Saints Church Highlands. Have a great day, everybody.